Okay, now for our next message. It's going to be brought to us by Mr. Matthew Steele. It is entitled, 1 Peter, Part 1. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, maybe I should have uh, entitled this message, Curtis Message, Part 2. Because uh, we're, we're going to cover some of the areas that, uh, that he touched upon, which is good, right? Because uh, maybe we need to hear it. Um, so let me start with a question also. Does anybody write letters anymore? Anybody write letters? Good old-fashioned. Now, not nasty e letters to the IRS. None of those. But good old blank piece of paper, dear somebody, and write out a letter. Wow, you're not as endangered as I thought you would be. I can't imagine, I can't really remember for sure the last time I wrote out a letter to somebody telling them about whatever, my day, or how the family's doing, and so on. If I thought about it, or I was thinking about it this morning, and I'm pretty sure the last letters I wrote were actually to my wife before she was my wife. And then pretty soon they were emails. And so the rest of our, uh, in fact, our love letters are emails, which we, we often joke that emails are dangerous things because they can get you into all kinds of trouble. Um, but writing letters, I just, I just don't do it anymore. I write emails all day long, but not a good old-fashioned letter. Renee actually has a friend, though. It's a good friend of hers from, from um, university. Uh, it's a lady that lives in Germany. And she writes these beautiful, long letters, uh, good old-fashioned letters telling about her family and what they've been doing. And, and then Renee will write back. And where she has great handwriting, and, and unlike me, she knows how to spell and, and, and use punctuation, as she reminds me often. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful thing, and I'm happy for somebody else to enjoy that. Because I really don't miss it, except I am grateful for letters. Because without letters, we would not have most of the New Testament. These are letters that were sent by the apostles and, and the disciples to churches explaining the gospel, responding to issues that, that, that arose within a given church. And we're just leaning over their shoulders as they write these letters. And so I want to do that today, just kind of lean over Peter's shoulder and look as he's writing and ask some questions about what he's writing. And maybe just dig into what we've studied before, but let's dig into it again. Maybe even dig in and learn some new things that we hadn't seen before. So in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia, and Bithynia, 
elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling blood of Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Now, I'm pretty sure those of you that write letters are not quite as flamboyant as that, are you? Often it's dear so-and-so. But that is quite an opening. It's quite an opening. So firstly, I want you to notice how he opens his letter. He simply says, I'm Peter. Everybody's heard of Peter. Certainly in the places, the churches that he's sending this letter to, they have heard of him. They know who he is. And then he says that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, Curtis was talking about titles earlier on. Does it, do any of us have the, the term, the term of apostle after our name? No? That'd be a little bold, wouldn't it? Because we've attached a lot of meaning to the title apostle. It's a pretty important title. Or is it? Does anybody know what apostle means? It's a very simple word. I can hear it. Sent. Yeah. Messenger. Messenger. So it's somebody that's sent with a message. Or maybe sent on a mission. So, you know, it's interesting. We have these Greek words and they become titles. Right? In the English. And the, well, they would just be Hey, come over here. Um, uh, I want you to be a apollosis for, for me. I want you to send a message for me. I want you to take a message to somebody. Very simple. But of course, we look at it and we say, well, Jesus ordained apostles. I mean, he, he picked out 12, didn't he? And then, then one of them... Uh, you know, rebelled against him and betrayed him and so on. And then the church picked out another. And then Jesus himself came down to a little road on the way to Damascus and got himself another apostle, the 13th apostle, the apostle Paul. But still, it means messenger, one who is sent on a mission. So if somebody came to you and asked you to take a message, written down or orally given, and to take that message to somebody else, you are being an apostolos, and the apostle in the literal sense of the word. But of course, this word's come to convey more than that. And we've placed this power and authority on it. And, and it, there's a, there are church traditions alive and well in the world today that they get their apostolic power, don't they? they? They get the primacy of Peter and his apostolic power. And these have become these power positions. Perhaps that's not always bad. But when we remember, when we remember what gives an apostle power, then it doesn't seem quite so grand a title. What gives an apostle his power. What gives a, a messenger his power? The message. It is the message that gives 
the messenger his power. So if a messenger was sent by a king to, to his armies with instructions for his generals, nobody can impede that messenger. He is, in a sense, the king coming through. Clear the way. I am a messenger for the king. And here is my credential. But he's made important. He's made powerful because of the message that he brings. It is the message that has the power. So it's true for us today. It's true for us as Christians. We have no power or authority of ourselves. Some people act like they do. And we can definitely point to lots of religious leaders that certainly thought they did. But we have power only in that we carry a message. We are just messengers entrusted to what's given to us. We are similar to Peter and to Paul and all the others who took the gospel message of Jesus Christ and shared it around the world. This is important for us to remember. This is critical for us to remember as we read this letter. Because as you read through 1 Peter, you need to have that context. It's important for two reasons. Firstly, these are not Peter's words. What is written down here, if he was being an apostle, if he was being a messenger, then what is written down is not his words as such. He may have crafted the language, but he's delivering a message from God to us. This is a message from God. He is talking, he is taking rather what he has learned, what he's been inspired to understand by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's delivering that message to us. He's delivering that message to the churches that are spread, abor- spread abroad. So Peter was just simply giving the message to these believers, this church spread abroad, who had come to believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the one that's promised. And he writes to these faithful in all these churches in Asia. And he calls them to be messengers also, as we'll see as we go through this letter. So firstly, we need to remember that it is the message that has the power, not Peter and not us. And secondly, we need to remember that we are carriers of this message. Every single one of us, we are carrying this message. Now, that's not just a a nice set of rules and and instructions by which somebody could live. We're not just expressing God's love for people. We carry the message of life and death. We have that message. We have the message that can change lives. This is serious business. We need to take our role as messengers seriously. We need to take the message and deliver it to those that we are sent. We cannot turn back. We cannot go back to the king and say, Lord, I couldn't get through. 
<laughs> there is no turning back. And we'll see that as we go through here. We have the power, we have the message to change the course of a person's eternal destiny. You hold that power in your hearts, in your minds, on your laps right now in the word of God. And so as we read through Peter's message, not just a letter written to long dead Christians in an ancient part of the world, but rather a letter written to us also as an admonition to us, as an encouragement to us, the holders of the message of the gospel. We need to remember this critical point. This gospel is not just delivered for our salvation. The minute that we have gone through the waters of baptism, that we have come up and received the Holy Spirit, we have become new creatures, the message is now for us to deliver to others. That very instant, we become like apostolic like apostles, messengers. But the most important message that has ever been given to mankind. Remember what the messenger Paul said to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. And it's interesting, isn't it? He ties this action of preaching God's word, of sharing the message to judgment. There is a judgment. We will be judged by what we do with this word. And oftentimes we're, we're maybe a little concerned about if we're going to get judged by our sins and, and what we've, we've done in this life. But is that the judgment he's talking about? Or is he talking about whether or not we have delivered the message faithfully as we've been given opportunity? Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but, but according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth. And be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Another one that speaks forth a message of good news. The Evangelion. Fulfill your ministry. You know, if you think about that. We are rapidly getting to this point, aren't we? People with itching ears. Itching ears. Tell us something that will stop the itch. Tell us something that we will like, that's soothing. Nothing challenging here. Don't challenge my beliefs. They're getting themselves teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. That they can live any way they want without consequence. There's no consequences. Do what is good in your own eyes. Do whatever feels good. There's no consequences. There will be no cost. They believe they can do whatever they want without any need for truth. Wrong. 
have a perfect example of that. Just here recently at work, we had some individuals, younger people, newer employees, using the company's messaging system that's designed for work. They were using it to disparage some people at the office, saying very vile things about these other individuals. They were fired. It came to light, and they were quickly fired. There are consequences to our behavior. And they think, well, I can say whatever I want, and I can do whatever I want without consequences. That's not true. It's just not true. But Paul says to Timothy, and also to us, preach the word. Preach the truth. If we can't preach, then teach. Maybe, maybe you can't just stand up here and, 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 and preach. Then, then maybe teach. Maybe you can teach in a classroom setting, in a small group. If you can't teach, then share in conversation, one-on-one, -on -one, with a friend, with a family member, giving encouragement, giving them the word of God as you know it. The word that has convicted you. The message that's convicted you. If you can't share, then what kind of servant are we? If we cannot share what has transformed our lives, what has changed us, and what is continuing to change us, if we can't share that in some way, then how much of a profitable servant are we? This is a critical point that we who are in Christ Jesus must understand we are all messengers. We are all to fulfill this role in one way or the other. We come with a message, both of hope and also of warning. You may remember what God told Ezekiel one time about a messenger, about a watchman. In Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 1, he says, Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people, and say to them, When I bring the sword upon the land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory to make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on him. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but he did not take warning. His blood shall be on himself. But he who takes warning will save his life. That's good. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from amongst them, he is taken away in his iniquity. Yeah. He is taken away in his iniquity, because that's the judgment of God. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. I don't want that. I don't want that to be on my hand. And no, we don't want that to be on our hand. It's serious business being a messenger. Now, for sure, we have to deliver the message correctly appropriately, 
We can't just yell it out and say, well, I told them. We can use persuasion. We can use reason. We can use example. And we can point to the lives of men and women that have been that example. But we must try, at the very least, to blow that trumpet and to give that message. In the end, that's one of the reasons why we're still here. Why we haven't been whisked away or fallen asleep. We are here for a reason. The reason is still to live the life in Christ Jesus and to deliver the message. Turning back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. I really love the way Peter says this, how he reminds us of what we have in store. The first thing he tells the church is, is a reminder of what's out ahead of us. Because life can be hard. It can be difficult to stay on this course, to stay on this path. It can be difficult to be a messenger in the face of rebuke, mocking, whatever it may be. But we need to keep that prize out there ahead of us. And he does that. This is the first thing he wants them to, to hold on to. Keep the prize out there ahead of us. We need to keep that prize in our mind as we struggle. We have this amazing inheritance that cannot fade. It cannot rot. It cannot lose value. It cannot be stolen. It cannot be embezzled. It can't be mismanaged by hedge fund managers and 401k managers. Right? How is your 401k doing? Well, how's the market doing? How's the market doing? Well, how's a bunch of crazy kids doing? Is that they act like children in the marketplace. And that's where we put our treasure for our retirement. As Curtis was talking about, we cannot trust in that. Do our best, invest wisely, and if we're lucky, we'll have something at the end. But this, this is a treasure that cannot be taken away. It cannot be used for evil. It will not be a burden to us. It won't trouble us. It's out there waiting for us. Being reserved. It's been reserved. It's secure. An inheritance that will not be lost. And while you're waiting to receive the inheritance, this one little word, it says, you are being kept. Who would like to be kept? I'd like to be kept. That means I don't have to work, right? Somebody else pays all the bills? Is that how that works? 
Well, it's interesting. This word doesn't mean that. It means guarded. It really should say we are being guarded. Guarded by the power of God through faith for salvation. Do you believe this? Do we believe this? Do we believe that we are being guarded by God himself? He's got your back. He is guarding you. He is protecting you. He's going to maintain us. He's going to keep us until, as he says, we are revealed at the last time, at the resurrection. Do we trust this? We should. This is part of how we will end up in our inheritance. He has guarded us. He is protecting us leading us. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but when you see the President of the United States on television, don't go to bad thoughts. But when you see his security detail around him, you ever thought what it would be like to, to have a security detail? I mean, would that feel comfortable? Nice and safe? You've got these guys that are three times my size and heavily armed protecting me? Or would it make you feel like, wow, people must really hate me because I have to have all these bodyguards? We have protection. It's way better than that. Much stronger than that. We have a protective perimeter around each and every one of us looking for any alerts, any dangers, any threats to our life. Why do we feel vulnerable sometimes? Why do we get afraid? Why do we doubt? We have something better than any presidential detail protecting us, guarding us. The very power of God stands guard over us, as Peter has just told us, keeping us safe from harm until we are revealed in the last time. And he reminds us to rejoice in this. Be glad for this. He says in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice. Now, uh, through now a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, I was thinking about this passage. I wonder what it was like for Peter. He's writing to all these churches. He's writing to all these believers. And not many of them seen, have seen Jesus. Peter knew Jesus. He lived with him. He grew up with him. He knew who he was. He was with him in his ministry. 
And Peter genuinely looks at these people in, in gratefulness and maybe in awe. Because even though they had not seen Jesus, they loved him anyway. They trusted him anyway. They followed him anyway. And he was writing to these, these Christians. And he is, he's so respectful of them. And he is encouraging them. And in their faith. He says the genuine faith, untarnished by the trials that come upon them. You can see in the words how much he respects and admires the faithful followers of Christ. Would he say the same of us? I like to think that he would. But in your mind and in your heart of hearts, Ask yourself, would he say the same of you? I'm not saying he wouldn't. We need to make sure. Are we following in this Christian way with this faith, with, with this untarnished faith? Do we greatly rejoice in our faith? Do we rejoice in our faith? It's hard sometimes because we don't see with our physical eyes, do we? We wish that we could hold on to Jesus. Especially in those difficult moments when we're at our most vulnerable, our most weak. We want to feel the arm around us because we are physical still. And touch is important to us. We do want that. We want that closeness. But of course, we get that from each other. When we are encouraging one another. When we do have the boldness to put our arms around one another in those trials, when we are down, we are being the messengers of Christ's love one to another. And then we have something richer, something deeper, we would just stop and remember it. In the midst of the struggle, if we would just stop and remember what Jesus said in John 14, 23. Jesus answered them and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He really does live in us. He is guarding us, he is living in us, making their home in us. Why don't we remember this? Why do we not remember this when we are in those struggles at work? When we've got this pressure building up on us of, of projects to complete and, and, and employers to satisfy. Why? Do we not remember this when we are struggling with the loss that happens in our life? The loss of loved ones, the loss of opportunity, the loss of wealth. Why do we not remember this? We should remember this and, and do what Peter said and rejoice in our trials. We have an advocate, 
a defender, an eternal father living within us, who shall we fear? Who shall we fear? And I think about this in delivering the message. Well, I, I don't know if I want to bring it up to that person. I might offend them or I might hurt their feelings or I might look like an idiot. Who shall we fear? In Isaiah 54, verse 17, it says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every one which raises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Are we not the servants? Are we not the servants of God? Are we not his messengers? Isn't this our inheritance? Of course it is. No weapon against us, no weapon forged against us will prosper. And it's appropriate that we make these connections with Isaiah because of what Peter says next in verse 10. He says, of this salvation, of the salvation that we have, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. What is all that about? Simply put, the prophets were for us. The prophets were teaching and preparing the way for us. For us to understand and receive the salvation that we now have. Before he brought about his salvation, Jesus Christ inspired the prophets, like Isaiah, to write about his grace for us. His mercy, the salvation that he was going to bring to us, for you, for me. And this was such a message, such a powerful message, such an everything changing message that the angels wanted to know and understand this. And it's interesting that the passage that we just read before in Isaiah comes right before Isaiah 54 and verse 17. I mean, Isaiah 54, 17 comes right before Isaiah 55, starting in verse 1. It says, the prophet delivers to us a new message. And it's a good news message. It's a gospel message. But he's writing in this Old Testament. But it's a gospel message. He says, hope. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Who's the waters? Jesus. Jesus said, at the well, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will have a well springing up inside of him. Right? Jesus is that water. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Yes, come by wine and milk without money 
and without praise. That's an odd phrase, isn't it? To come by without money. Anybody know of a store in Tulsa you can do that at? Because I will get all my groceries there. What does he mean? Come by without money. Well, maybe the more important question is to ask, why don't they have any money? Why don't they have money to buy what they need? Verse 2. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Curtis talked about that earlier. We do, don't we? We spend money on things that don't satisfy. When I came back in, he was holding up his iPad. That's my weakness. Gadgets. Technology. It's obsolete the minute I bought it. But I have to have it. Why do we spend money on things that don't really satisfy? It's shiny and new for those first five minutes. And after that, it's gone. Now, for some of you, maybe it's um, books. I'm not just picking up my wife right there. Maybe it's clothes, fast cars, motorcycles. I don't know. You know. Do we spend money on things that do not satisfy? I know we certainly spend money on food that is killing us. Pesticide ridden. I won't go down that road. But it's true. It does not fill us. It's not really bread. He said, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Listen. Pay attention. Eat what is good. Well, what's good? What is good? And let your soul delight itself in abundance. What's that? What's the abundance? What is it? Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I only know of one everlasting covenant. I only know of one, and that's the covenant, the new covenant in Jesus Christ. He says, the sure mercies of David, that's Jesus. Indeed, I have given him, Jesus, not David, yeah, he was a witness, but Jesus as a witness to the people and a leader and a commander for the people. Surely you can call a nation you do not know. And nations who do not, <coughs> who do not know you shall run to you because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to, to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. To our God, for he will abundantly pardon. How many times do I forgive my brother? Seventy? Seven times seventy? Seventy times seventy? Keep counting. He will abundantly pardon. And it's interesting. You know, earlier he said, Incline your ear and come to me and listen. 
hear, listen. And so we, we need to listen to what he's telling us here. In verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So, all of this is leading up to right here. To this, so, shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing by which I sent it. I love that passage. I've always loved that passage. Jesus is the word. He has been sent to do what? What has Jesus been sent to do? Seek and to save the lost. Who are the lost? Everyone. Everyone is lost. So then who will he say? I'll leave that up to you. But God says that his word will not return void, will not return empty, but it will accomplish that which it was sent. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy. There's that joy again. Peter is asking us to rejoice and have that joy and be led out with peace. And the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name. For an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. That's the kingdom message. That's, that's being that ambassador that Curtis was talking about. Knowing that in our country, these things have already come to pass. And we are just waiting for it to return. Knowing that we are ambassadors for Christ. And that we are sharing this good news. That the kingdom of God is going to be on this earth. And that we have a message of grace and salvation. For anyone that we can talk to and teach share this message with. This is the promise. This is the gospel in the Old Testament. This is our inheritance waiting for us, reserved for us in heaven. What shall we fear? What shall we fear? Who can make us afraid, seeing then that we are to inherit the promises of Jesus Christ? We need to focus. We need to pay attention. We need to listen. And we need to do what Peter tells us to do next. Back in verse 13. He says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober, and rest your hope fully on the grace that is brought uh, to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the formal lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, 
Be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in fear. We should conduct ourselves in fear, not, not afraid, but in, in this focus, being concerned that we conduct ourselves in righteousness as God gives us the ability to do that. But it's not that righteousness. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like gold, or like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. As a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Our faith and hope are not in anything else. They're not in any of these possessions. They're not in the acquisition of wealth. It is not in any man or woman or apostle or prince or king. It is in God. In the Father and in the Son. We've talked about this before and it's critical. But we should encourage one another to continue to do this more and more as we see the day approaching. As we see that living in this world is becoming harder and harder every day as a Christian. It's easy if you go back into the world. The world loves its own. But for us it is getting harder. And I want to just point out a specific part that Peter said here. This is the practical area that we could really dig into. Specifically, we need to gird up the loins of our mind. What does that mean? How do you gird up the loins of your mind? Our minds have loins? That's weird. But it means to support the mind, right? If you're going to gird up your loins, you're going to wrap up the clothing that's around you and support your middle area so you can run, so you can do the work that's ahead of you. Support the mind. How do we do that? How do we support our mind? Well, Peter says, be sober. He says, be sober. Now, is he just talking about avoiding alcohol? What does he really mean? Well, what, what does alcohol do to the brain? What does it do to the mind? It affects your ability to reason, to think clearly, to know the difference between right and wrong. You ever observed somebody that's three sheets to the wind? So being sober, don't allow your minds, our minds, to be affected to the point that we can't reason. What is he really saying? He's saying don't be bringing damaging images into your mind. Damaging ideas and concepts. Be they political or philosophical, moral, scientific. If it's damaging to the mind, 
if it affects our ability to reason and understand right from wrong, and it, if it affects our ability to speak the gospel message to others, if it's going to cloud your judgment, don't do those things. Run from those things. And Paul reinforces this idea in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. He says, finally, brethren, on the, on the reverse of this, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. When we stick a show on television, we should read the scripture. Because when we're watching it, right, scrolling by and we're being very passive but yet we're not we're meditating on these things we're meditating on the ideas that's presented and on the narrative and the, the language back and forth and the ideas that are being presented to us would we be comfortable watching those shows watching some of that television with this passage open on our lap is it good does it have virtue? Is there anything praiseworthy on it? If not, then turn it off. Find something else to meditate on. These things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, says Paul. And the peace and the God of peace will be with you. What are we watching? What are we listening to? What are we reading? What are we putting into our minds? And you can't say, oh, I won't be affected. And you know how I know that that's not true? It's because the minute that the Star Wars movie is over, my sons have lightsabers and they are reenacting the show. It affects our minds. And I'm sorry, but we're not all that different as adults than we are when we were kids does affect our minds. And if it doesn't, why did the apostles go at such lengths to tell us to avoid these things? Remember I said before, messages have the power, right? It's not the messenger. It's the message that has the power. Good messages have good power. Bad messages well, they give us itching ears. So, as well as telling to support our mind, Peter also tells us to do something else. He tells us full, to rest fully on the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What do you think that means? To rest fully on the grace. Interesting. I think it's an interesting choice of words. Is it possible to rest partially? Is it really? Is that really resting? I'm partially resting. You know, when somebody's just leaning back in their chair and they've really fallen asleep, I'm just resting my eyes. It's only my eyes that are asleep. Is it possible to rest partially? 
Well, yes it is. Kind of. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 57, it says, Now as it happened, they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me go first and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. No partial resting. No partial following God and, and looking back. We need to rest fully on the grace, on the salvation, the inheritance that is to be brought to us. And Peter uses all these words interchangeably. To rest fully on the grace that we brought to us when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's what we need to do. Not looking back. Not trying to figure things out ourselves. But having the faith to rest in the grace of God. In 1 Peter, in closing, in verse 22, he says... Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of, of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again or begotten again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is grass, and all the glory of man and the flower, the flower of the grass as is the flower of the grass. Grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. And this is the word that abides in us. And if it abides in us and that we are faithful with that word and we share that word and we share that message. And we make that our treasure. We make that our focus and our goal. And we also will abide forever.